It is new series time. I'm so excited that we are kicking off a brand new series and it's on a topic that I really love, something that does get me going, leadership and influence. What I love about it is that there is timeless truth, timeless principles. You have all these leadership gurus who have these principles for how to lead, how to do it well, how to be great uh, at leading in whatever space you are. And then you read God's word and you're like, you guys stole it from him. Because it is timeless and it is a truth. But at the same time, it plays out in different eras in different ways. And so leadership and influence in 2021 will look very, very different. Especially when you're talking about influence in 2021 compared to even influence uh, five years ago, 10 years ago. The rise of social media and the rise of the influencer has been real. Uh, I don't know if you ever have uh, seen any of this. If you've been on Facebook, been on Instagram, been on anything, you probably have. Uh, If you don't know this about me, guys on our staff, guys uh, who know me well, know that I'm a meme connoisseur. I have literally got a folder in my phone that has thousands of memes in it. Uh, I enjoy a good meme uh, and I especially love the category of memes known as influencer memes. Basically poking fun at at social media influencers. Anytime we do that, I'm on board, I'm in, it's gonna be good fun. And I saw one, it popped up again this week and it's a conversation between a guy and a girl and the guy asked, hey, uh, so what do you do? And she says, well, I'm an Instagram model, I'm a brand ambassador, and I'm an influencer. And he goes, oh, me too. I'm also unemployed. (laughs) Because influence looks very different in 2021. It somehow is now about your followership. But I really think as we get into this series, what we will begin to discover is our leadership is far more about who we are following than who's following us. And so I wanna encourage you, it's called Hearts Apart. I'm so excited. We're actually gonna be looking at and focusing in on um, two kings of Israel, the very first two kings of Israel. And they're two contrasting examples. Uh, King Saul, who is probably in scripture, the greatest example for bad leadership, ungodly leadership. And then second, David, King David, uh, who is without a doubt, the greatest king in Israel and even has the blessing of Jesus being in his line, in his throne, as it had been prophesied through the Old Testament. And so looking at these two, I really think in the contrast, we're gonna find so much insight. But I don't want you to miss how much they had in common and how similar they were. And this is where the series is really gonna get some teeth. Because what you find is that David and Saul were very similar. They both messed up royally. They both had flaws. They both were really, really gifted by God. They both actually were directly chosen by God, anointed by God to lead His people. And yet they had two very different ends. One went down a road of destruction. One went down a road of eternal impact. What was different? I think what you'll find as we go through this series week on week is that they were hearts apart. Their hearts were in very different places. And so I've really been uh, excited to get into this series because the preaching team will know this. This series has basically been on the cards for like more than two years. So it's like more than two years in the making. And I've got such a great hope that God is gonna do so much through it. And there's two big things I really think God will do um, through these next four weeks. The first one is this. I know that there are people in the room or people online who have heard this and immediately when they heard leadership and influence, you immediately discredited, discounted, or disqualified yourself from the conversation. Because dunks, I'm not a leader. I don't hold influence. I'm not that hardcore. I wanna encourage you that this series is actually gonna show how much leadership and influence matters to every single one of us who are called into a relationship with God. 
Because as you were created, you were created with a specific purpose. And we're talking about the purpose of God in His kingdom. It is never separated from leadership and influence. And so if all of us are called to a purpose, every single one of us have a purpose that God created us for, that He will lay in front of us, it is so important that we understand what leadership and influence will look like. The tagline of the series is leadership and influence done right. And by done right, I mean in line with God and His way. Second thing I think it's gonna do, and I'm excited to see it, is it will contrast these two things. It will not just focus in on what good leadership is, it is. It will actually encourage us in what godly leadership looks like. Because there's a difference. We're gonna see that. I'm gonna give you some background and then we're gonna jump into what we're gonna focus in on today. We're gonna be mainly in the book of 1 Samuel chronicling the, the, the journey of King David and King Saul. At this time, the nation of Israel had just gone through a very rough patch in its history. Sin, rebellion, all had gone down. And what had happened was because of their sin and rebellion, they were consistently meeting the consequences of those decisions. And so they would meet enemies who would oppress them. Great calamity or tragedy would come upon them. They would then repent, call back to God and say, hey, we messed this thing up. God in His grace would hear their cry and save them. And the way he would do it would be by raising what was called a judge. Um, and this gets literally through the book of Judges in Old Testament, you'll find it all. And the last judge of Israel, they hadn't had a king at all up until this point, um, was Samuel. A judge, a judge would be a human leader that God would raise up to deliver the people in that moment. And so the last judge of Israel was a guy called Samuel. And he wasn't a soldier, he wasn't a warrior, he wasn't a general, he was actually a prophet and a priest. And in the midst of his uh, leadership, we find Israel in some turmoil. Because in the turmoil that kicks in, and we see this in chapter 8, they have not just problems on the inside, where they are in rebellion and uh, putting themselves against God in His way, there is also turmoil around them because they have enemies who are growing and gaining strength. And so the Philistines at that time had become formidable. And so time after time, they're racking up victory after victory against the nation of Israel. And in that moment, they cry out in, in chapter eight to God and say, would you give us a king? And not a king just for just, a king like the other nations. It was a sad moment because actually Israel had been set up at, as what was known as a theocracy where God was their ultimate leader. And now they're crying out for a king like the other nations. Samuel knows this and he, he, he gets so downtrodden from this moment. But the, and this is even God's words to him in 1 Samuel 8, 7. God says, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Where we find the nation of Israel early on in, uh, in 1 Samuel, we find them in a leadership crisis. The leader they had, they weren't happy with, God Himself. The leader He had put in place over them, delegated authority to lead them. Samuel was now getting old and his voice was continually getting more and more ignored. They're in a crisis, in turmoil. They had problems on the inside, problems on the outside, and it never puts the human heart in a good place to make good decisions. And so they make this choice to cry out and make this request and make this demand of God that you give us a king like the other nations, but they didn't know just how bad a decision it was. I don't want us to miss just how gracious God is, because I don't want you to miss the love of God even in this moment. 
because he is the God that will set out his way and say, hey, this is how we, how we do it. But he was also the God who will protect us. He's the God who will warn us when we go astray. He's the God when we cry out because we have gone our own way and we repent that he will save us. He'll raise uh, people and situations so that we can be saved out of it and brought back to him. But as we get caught in that cycle time and time again, just like Israel was, he is also so gracious and his grace is so vast that even at the end of the road, he'll give us exactly what we want. And it's not to punish us, it's actually to show us and to prove to us, hey, my way is a way of love. My way is the best way. And so I'll give you what you want and let you go your own way to prove it. And this is what he will do. It sets the scene and it enters these two men, these two kings of Israel, Saul, the son of Kish, and the shepherd boy, David, who would be Israel's greatest king. So where are we gonna start today? We're gonna start right at the beginning. This message is entitled, The Start of Leadership, because we're gonna track the start of the leadership of both of these guys. And I I really track the beginning of their their rise to power very similarly between these three phases. They're gonna be our three headings. The choice, the, ch- uh, the change, and the challenge. Three things, three stages. Let's go. Number one, the choice. We get introduced to uh, King Saul while he is still Saul, son of Kish, at the beginning of chapter nine. This is how he gets introduced. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, and he had a lot of dads. And he was a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul. A handsome young man, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And so in the midst of this uh, crisis and this desperation and this plea for a king like the other nations, enter Saul. And we get introduced to him with this physical description. He was a formidable man. It actually speaks about him being head and shoulders above everyone, tall, strong, You knew who he was. When he walked in the room, everyone knew he was there. The chapter will then go on and detail a bit of an odd story. It focuses in on some lost donkeys, but it was very specifically a God-ordained story because it actually sets up the scene for where Saul will be introduced to Samuel. And so he goes on this wild goose chase for some lost donkeys. And beyond the physical description we get from uh, Saul, we also now get uh, some insight into who he is. And there is a lot of positives there. He has a great respect for his father, great respect for his estate and his status. We also see that he has no ambition for leadership. The throne was never on his mind. He was out looking for donkeys. Little did he know he would discover God's purpose for his life, which would actually be the throne of Israel. Saul gets chosen by God. Saul even gets empowered by God to do what he has called him to. But inevitably what will happen down the road for Saul is he will fail because he will fall into sin and disobedience. And ultimately God will reject him for that, remove his blessing. And then God will say to Samuel, right, we're gonna go anoint another king. And he'll send him to the, to the city of Bethlehem to a guy called Jesse who had some sons. And Samuel goes out and he meets Jesse and he says, bring your sons before me. And the first one comes in and his name is Eliab and he uh, was a big guy, tall guy and Samuel thinks, well, this must be him. Surely this is the one who will be chosen by God. And God says, no, rejects him. 
Seven sons go by and they get rejected by God. Eventually Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? And he says, yeah, we do. There's the youngest, but it's only David. He's out in the fields. He's just a boy. I wonder if we've noticed that Samuel sits in that moment going, surely it was Eliab. Surely it was the impressive guy. This is actually the words in 1 Samuel 16 that God says to Samuel, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Samuel calls for David to be brought before him. And the Bible actually describes him in a very different way. It says he's very handsome, but he's ready. Had to go look up what that meant. He's ready. He was actually quite scrawny, nothing really pretty to look at. He was not the formidable guy. He's not the guy you walked in the room and everyone's eyes turned to him. And yet David gets brought before Samuel. And as he is brought before Samuel, this young little shepherd boy, God says, right, that's him. Anoint him king. He's the one I want. How often do we fall into that trap? How often do we look as man sees, where we look at the outward appearance, where we look to things like skills and stature and presence, and yet God only seems to care about one thing, and that's the human heart. I mentioned that this is going to be a real contrast between good leadership and godly leadership. The truth is Saul could have been a good leader, he had all of the ingredients, but he was never the one who was called a godly leader because there was a problem in his heart. This might be a little bit of a sidebar, but there, there are, there will be, there always have been great leaders who have not been godly. You can look up many def definitions around the internet, go Google it right now, uh, of what leadership is or what even what great leadership is. And it will always include three uh, ingredients. The first one is people. The second one is direction. And the third one is destination. The basic idea in leadership is that you have someone who will lead a team or people and bring them around a common purpose and goal and bring about uh, achieving that through collaborative effort. Andy Stanley puts it this way, and it's, I love it because it's simple. Leadership is about getting stuff done, not alone, but through other people. When you want to talk about leadership and specifically good leadership, it is always about your vision. It's always about your decisions, your skills. All of these things will matter. And you can Google a list right now of the greatest leaders of all time. And names will pop up. Nelson Mandela, Churchill, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Hitler, FDR, Che Guevara, George Washington. You'll find it there right now. But the big thing I want to hit is this. Not every good leader is a godly one. But every godly leader is one. There is a big difference because godly leadership will up the ante. We know that you can be a good leader, but your heart is very wrong. We know that you can be a good leader and have the skills and the principles and be able to gather people and, uh, and gather them around a purpose and get the thing achieved. But how you go about it and the impact and legacy it will leave will be very different to the godly leader who does the same thing. I love how Bill Lawrence puts it. He defines godly leadership like this. Godly leadership is the act of influencing or serving others out of Christ's interests in their lives. So they accomplish God's purpose for and through them. Influencing, serving others out of Christ's interests in their lives. So that they accomplish God's purpose for and through them. 
Godly leadership takes it a level up, a step up. It is not just good, it is godly. 1 Samuel's making this case that there is a contrast and a difference between what the world will look at and say, that's good leadership, and what God will look at and say, hey, that's my guy. And it seems the, the hinge or the thing that uh, matters is always coming down to this human heart. And it's making the case that the human heart is in need of a complete overhaul, overhaul and a complete change. And so that leads us into our second heading, the change. Three things I want to highlight about the change. The first one is this. I want you to notice that the change was given. It wasn't welled up within them, it was actually given. Both David and Saul would experience and exhibit this change. And the change I'm talking about is the transformative power of God and His Spirit within the human heart. Saul actually gets... <coughs> anointed and proclaimed king. Um, but there's this moment in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and it's so important. And I, want, I don't want us to miss it. In verse nine it says, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. After Saul gets rejected for his disobedience, Samuel reaches the end of his life and he gets called to go and anoint a new king and he anoints David and this is what is said of him. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. It doesn't come from inside, it's actually a gift of God. Second thing I want you to see is that the change was seen. It was visible. By the power of God's Spirit, Saul is actually empowered to do what he has called uh, Saul to do. He's empowered to do it, empowered in the purpose. And so what God has called him to do in now brings about a change in his heart and we see it play out in his actions. Later on in 1 Samuel 10, in the very next verse, verse 10, it says, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him and the Spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among him. Very next chapter, chapter 11, he'll lead the Israelite army against the Ammonites in a great victory that no one had seen before. And it says it was by the Spirit that had rushed upon him, he did that. And so the change was very visible to anyone who was there. When a guy is prophesying, when a guy is leading an, uh, an army defeating enemies that only God could, you must understand that that change is very visible. Third thing, the change was needed. I think there's two big reasons why the change is needed. The first one we saw in Saul. It's to accomplish the purpose of God. When the Spirit does not rush upon us, when the Spirit is not present within us, we are not capable of accomplishing what He has set before us. It's why Saul needed the Spirit to do what God had called him to. And it's why he could do nothing when the Spirit had left. Second reason is to align our motives with godly motives. And this is where the focus turns to David. I wanna take you to a point in David's life that every single one of us in the room will know. But I think there's a, a, a position of his heart in that moment that so, sometimes we overlook within the story. And it's the story of David and Goliath. Very famous, I'm sure you know it. But in that moment, what is happening is Israel is on one side, the Philistines are on the other. There's a big field in between. And every single morning, Goliath, the Philistine champion, will walk out. Nine feet tall, he was a giant of a man. His voice would roar across the valley. He had, a, he had a spear in his hand, a massive helmet over his head, and he basically would call out for a fight. Anyone who is willing, Israel, give me your best. Give me your champion so that I may defeat him. 
He would insult the army. He would insult the, the, the God of Israel. And David at this time is still a young boy. He actually will go out to the front lines where his brothers are stationed as, as soldiers to bring them food. He sees it all going on. But I want you to notice where his action begins. He does nothing until he hears about this. And I know this is a preach for another day, but you've got the guy who's the champion of the Philistines calling out saying to Israel, hey, give me your best. Can I tell you, there was only one person he was calling out and it was the king sitting on the throne because he was their best that they had, they had put him there. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He wasn't calling out anyone else. He was calling out that guy. But day after day, the coward king sat in his throne. It's a preach for another day. But Saul, as a, in his cowardly ways, actually will say, okay, I'm gonna give a reward to whoever will face this guy and defeat him for us. And the reward will be huge. You're gonna get riches beyond your wildest dreams and you'll have my daughter in marriage. It's only when David hears about that that we see action. Suddenly it, it, it pricks up his young ears. Riches and a hot girl. It's even serious that he goes back to his brothers just to double check. Wait, tell me again. What's the reward? Riches, Saul's daughter's hand in marriage. And he goes, right, I'll go. At a heart level, there were some dodgy motives in the midst of the young David. But I think the big point in the midst of this change is this. God can work with our dodgy motives he can work with the dodginess and the sketchiness that's, that can live within our very own heart because he knows he can turn that around. But there is one thing he cannot move forward with. There is one thing that will actually block it and send it a different way and lead us to destruction. And that is a heart that is not willing to take up the challenge. It was actually the story of Saul. Leads us to our third heading, the challenge. Saul had this character, he had this heart that was actually in error. He had a heart that was leaning towards himself and leaning away from God. He actually in this moment uh, had a heart that wouldn't obey and take up the challenge. I think from the start of their leadership, this is the real difference between David and Saul. David in his very character, warts and all, dodgy motives and all, will still step forward and face Goliath. He'll still take up the challenge that God has set before him. And God will work with that and, and God will prune that and God will direct that and God will adapt that and God will change that. But time and time again, what we find in Saul is the lacking of taking up the challenge. He did it on that field. He did it again in, in 1 Samuel 10, and I want to show you this here. He gets proclaimed king, and Samuel at this time will gather all the people uh, to literally make him king. This is what happens. Verse 20, then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And he stood among the people. He was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. 
from the word go, Saul would not take up the challenge. He was the guy who in his moment to step up, he hides. He was the guy who had been called. He was the guy who'd been chosen. He was the guy who had been changed, who had been given a new heart. And yet in the moment where he was had to step up, where his name was being called, he couldn't take up the challenge. And isn't this the sad story of most of the bad examples we have for leadership and influence? Wasn't this the story of Saul? In the moment to lead, he, he hides. In the moment of, of a call to leadership, he will abdicate that authority. In the moment of God setting out the purpose that he has literally been equipped for, he will short circuit it and you'll follow his heart instead of the heart that God has given him. It's the story of so, so many examples of ungodly leadership, of bad leadership, of leadership that seeks self over others, who seeks self over God. I heard the song again this week. You're gonna be shocked that this song is in a preach, but there's an artist called Lizzo. She has a song called Truth Hurts, very first line. Why are men great till they gotta be great? Why are men great till they've got to be great? Saul had everything in there. He had all the ingredients. Every box was ticked. And yet at the moment where he was called into that greatness, that purpose that God had set, he's gone. He's hiding in the baggage. I think so many times we get leadership and influence wrong because we find ourselves hiding in the baggage. I don't know what that baggage might look like. That might be baggage of fear. That might be baggage of excuses. That might be baggage of, of capacity and busyness. That might be baggage of a wrong perspective. That could be baggage of pride. Or in the case of Saul, it could be the baggage of questionable character, of a heart that is positioned in the wrong place. I think Saul got caught up in what was less important in the fluff that was around leadership and power and status and influence. His eyes had got onto the wrong things. It, was got, it had got onto the situation and everything else. It hadn't got onto the one who was calling him into it. This has been such a challenge to me personally because I'll be honest with you, this is an area where God has actually said, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Because the story of my life and the story of my journey and how God has laid it out for me is that I have always been one who has been called into leadership and influence at a young age. And that's never been the thing that scared me. The thing that has always scared me is actually getting caught up in the baggage and short-circuiting what God has planned. And so often what I will pray, and it's something that I pray because God has literally told me to, it's literally, he say, has told me, this is something that needs to be an ongoing conversation with us. It will be a prayer along these lines. God, I understand the leadership and influence you have given me. In, in, in boldness, I'm gonna ask for more. I'm gonna ask that you would grow my capacity and gifting to carry it. But most importantly, would you grow my character to keep it? Sometimes the carrying it is not the problem. 
Sometimes our competency is not the problem. Our inadequacy is not the problem. God can deal with that. Sometimes the problem is our character because that is the thing that can disqualify us. We've seen it too many times. We've seen the plan short-circuited. We've seen the purpose literally be aborted because it hinges on this thing. And this is the real difference between good leadership and godly leadership. It hinges on character. It hinges on heart. And that's why its legacy, when it is good, will go right into eternity. Good leadership only matters now. Godly leadership matters forever. This is the challenge God calls us into. It's the challenge He's called me into. It's the challenge He's called you into. It's the challenge He's calling every single one of us, even this community, this church, this family. He's called us into a challenge. And he says, hey, this isn't just something that is God-led. This is also something that's God-fueled. I'll put everything in your hand. I'll change what I need to change so that you can do it. But there's still a a challenge set out for us. And the question is, are we going to step up or not? I don't know what's been speaking to you. Maybe you were that person at the beginning who had discounted yourself, disqualified yourself, saying, I don't have any leadership because I don't have any position. Can I tell you, David was leading long before he was on the throne. David was having influence long before he was on the throne because he was walking in the purpose God had set for him. I wanna encourage you, God has set a purpose for you. Every single one of us, there is no one excluded. Yours just might look different to mine, but we're all core to it. Maybe your problem wasn't necessarily an issue of position. Maybe there's a deeper issue and it's actually an issue of value. I don't think I actually hold leadership or influence because I don't actually think I'm worth it. I don't think there's much going on here. Can I remind you that God is the one who does the choosing and God chose you? Can I remind you of the value He has placed in you because you sit in the choice that He has made? When He made you, He had that purpose in mind. We just came out of a series looking at our five steps. We're a church that is simple. We wanna help you take your next step. This series is all about taking the step of purpose. And you might be sitting there having absolutely no idea what God's purpose is for you. Can I tell you that's a great place to be? But never fall to the side where you disqualify yourself because of all the problems, because of the circumstance. Understand God can work with our inadequacy. God can work with our, uh, the, our lack of preparedness. He knows it. That's why He's the God who will fuel it. He changes it. He empowers us so that we can do what He has called us to do. As the band joins me on stage, there's one last challenge I wanna throw down. And this, it's this challenge. Because I believe leadership and influence is so important, not just uh, on a big scale, on an organizational scale, on a church scale, on a community scale. It matters in every single decision you make as an individual. And there is only one way that your leadership and your influence, what God has actually put in your heart, what actually God has laid out before you, there's only one way it goes next level. There's only one way it can be protected by God. There's only one way it can be fueled by God and that's to bathe that thing in prayer. And so I wanna throw out a challenge to every single one of you to pray and it will be in these three areas. Firstly, I hope you would do like I do. I hope you would do like God told me to do and you would pray for yourself. And your prayer would be around, God, will you help me uh, see how you see things? 
Would you help clarify what you've called me to do? Would you help me discover the purpose you have set before me? And Lord, would you give me the gifting to do it and the character to keep it? Second area is I pray that you would pray for people, for others, that we would take that, uh, that picture of David very seriously, that there are enemies ahead and there are loved ones and people who we care about behind, who God cares about behind, and we get to stand in the middle, stand in the way, stand in the gap for them. And so we can do that, maybe not with a sword in our hand, but with prayer. Because there is nothing that can move a human heart like prayer can. There is nothing that can reveal God's mercy, God's love, God's care, God's purpose like prayer can. And the last thing I would ask, might be a bit selfish, but I think it's some holy selfishness. I really hope you would pray for us as a leadership of this church. Because let me tell you, we're not perfect. We have flaws just like David did. And yet we are endeavouring to hear from God very clearly, to care for people as He has called us to. Because there are people who are so in desperate need of this message, of this mercy and this love. It matters too much. And so would you pray for us? Would you pray for our capacity? Would you pray for our gifting? Would you pray for our unity? Would you pray for our uh, characters? Would you pray for our families? Would you pray for our marriages? Because they matter to what happens here. The challenge is set. The question is, will we take it up? We're going to sing in a moment and my encouragement to you would, do some, would be to do some business with God in your heart because I hope He has spoken to you. I hope He has identified an area where you're saying, hey, you've seen this wrong. You've, this is something we can do better. This is a challenge I'm calling you into. Are you going to step up? God calls us into the battle. He doesn't leave us on, his, on our own. He empowers us to do it. Why don't you stand with me? Father God, as we prepare to sing, as we begin, prepare to give you worship, to give you honour, to give you glory. I pray that right now, Lord, you would make appointments in people's hearts. That as you've revealed your truth, Lord, Lord, it's my prayer that your spirit would speak deep truths in the chambers of our heart. I pray that your, your truth would be the thing echoing around the chambers of our heart. Lord, you're the, in the business of transforming human hearts. Lord, would you do that right now for anyone who is desiring it? Lord, for those who are sitting on the front end of this journey, not knowing what purpose might look like, I pray you would illuminate it. I pray you would reveal it. And Lord, I do pray that you would take us forward, not just as individuals, but as a community who realize the leadership and influence that's been placed on us with the, glory, the glorious message of your love and truth to a world who so desperately need it. Lord, would you do business in our hearts? We honour you, we care for you. Would you speak to us again? We give you all the praise. Let's sing together.